everyone, and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we turn our all-seeing eye to the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. Who is we? Well, I'm your host, Andrew, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Mick. Uh, no, I am become death. Oh no, did, did you accidentally go see Oppenheimer instead of this? Yes. Well, no, I, I just wanted to become death. And I could spread death to anybody else who sat through this. Oh, That's so is that why you're wearing nothing but sequins? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. That and it's Saturday night and Strictly's back. Hooray. What what a shame we accidentally scheduled our podcast record for the same time. I know. I know. And, and uh, looking ahead to our other schedules, We've we've kind of done a booba. We've scheduled all the podcasts against Strictly. Oh, so we have silly us. Yeah. I can't <laughs> believe this has happened again for like the how many years in a row now? <laughs> well, you know. Hey ho. So, would you like me to do my intro for this podcast? Oh, that wasn't your intro for this podcast. No, no. Okay, go ahead then. In 2008, no, I'll not do the voice. In 2008, a film was released that adapted the comic book stylings of a legendary name in the comic book industry. A film that would put Scarlett Johansson and Samuel L. Jackson at the very forefront of a multi-billion dollar comic book adaptation franchise. This is not that film. (laughs) No, it isn't. That film was Iron Man, and people thought that was a bit of a risk. And then Frank Miller said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Frank Miller saw that and went, hold my beer. Yes, this week we are talking about the spirits. Mm. My sister screams because I'm watching the spirit. Yep, this is the 2008 film directed and written by noted absolute maniac Frank Miller. And And starring, and starring. Yes, yes, he does. He gets his head ripped off. (laughs) Which I assume, like, that scene happened and then he wrote the rest of the film. Yes. Just like the last desperate spasmings of his headless corpse. This is Frank Miller's 2008 spirit film, loosely based, i.e. it nicked the name from the works of Will Eisner, a man who has a comic industry award named after him. Yes, when the comic equivalents of the Oscars are named the Eisners. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's pretty big boots to fill. And I, I will say, Frank Miller fill those does fill those boots. Just what he fills those boots with... Is concrete that he then sends to the bottom of the Hudson River. Yes. Also, this film is set in Central City. The Flash doesn't get a look in. He doesn't, which, actually, you say that, I think this was also about the same time when DC bought the rights to the Spirit. Yeah. Yes, because they did a run, didn't they, under the Champion Comics banner. Yeah, I think it was under that, but I know it was Darwin Cook who did it, and I actually I really need to read that at some point because I do like Darwin Cook. Mm. So, so yes, the spirit. So yeah, as, I as know you've remember, done a synopsis. No, please don't don't make me do the synopsis yet, Mick. Tell tell me about if you're familiar with the spirit or not. Just, just I, give me more time. I, I, I need I more see, time. I seem to remember. Back in the the before times, when we did four panel, 
Um, I seem to remember picking up a sort of Will Eisner collection um, that contains some spirit tales and some other bits and pieces. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really get much of a feel for the spirit because, because, like I say, there were some other creations in there. Um, I think there was only like one or two stories of the spirit, and it was basically like Batman without a costume. You know, the early Batman, the the Bob Kane, Bill Finger Batman, but without the costume, really, just a suit and a mask. Um, so I didn't really get much of a feel for it, and it's, but it's one of those, like you say, you think. You know, the Eisner Awards, named after Will Eisner, he must have been a big thing in comics. Therefore, this film, based on his work, and, I, you know, from the guy who, only three years earlier, had brought us Sin City, a reasonably good adaptation of a comic book. Yeah. Excited. Well, Sin City certainly did come out before this film did, didn't it? It did. Um. I got I got all excited when it came out and the honour that I bestow upon the listeners of our podcast is that I've attempted to start watching The Spirit three previous times and this is the first time I stuck it to the end. Oh, For you well, listeners. I've watched it twice all the way through. You're made of sterner stuff than I. I am. I feel like at least having seen the whole thing before did like mentally fortify me a bit more for when I watched it this time. <laughs> well, as long as you didn't end up with eggs on your face. Oh, I hate eggs on my face. <laughs> what a... Now there's context behind that line that we could explain. But I don't think it's going to be in the film. Really <laughs> <laughs> oh. And it's Samuel L. Jackson, so it almost like in the moment sounds like something cool. Yeah. And then you stop and you think about it and you go, that didn't make any sense, actually. This, this, the, the Spirit is now one of those films that goes on my admittedly short list of films that even Samuel L. Jackson can't save. Currently, the list consists of three films. Oh, and that's interesting because you've not seen any of the Star Wars prequels, have you? I've seen all of the Star Wars films. Oh, right. That's okay. I mean, it's a bit unfair putting all the onus on Samuel L. Jackson to save those. But he was the chosen one, Mick. He was supposed to save the Star Wars franchise, not destroy it. But, um, no... The list of three films that Samuel L. Jackson can't save are The Spirit, Skull Island, and Glass. See, I actually really like Skull Island. Yeah, but you've watched The Spirit twice, so what do you know? That's true. My, my brain is just like mashed potatoes at this point. So it could be that I'm just sat there going, big monkey. Right. Also, I've just realised what I've done to myself for the, for the editing on that one. Right. Right, so yeah. Oh, you enough time. Are... The synopsis for The Spirits, a, a film that Frank Miller insisted on being the sole writer and director for because he was such a fan and personal close friend of Will Eisner. Spoilers ahead. I mean, we do, we do, we're not spoiling the film. Frank Miller already did that. Yes, yes, he did. So... After receiving a tip-off from the police, the spirit, played by Gabriel Macht, finds himself entangled in a battle between his archenemy, the octopus, Samuel L. Jackson, and his childhood sweetheart turned jewel thief, Sans Serif, Eva Mendez. 
and they're fighting over two mysterious boxes. Sand escapes with one box, and the spirit and the octopus fight. The octopus hints that he knows the secret of the spirit in his seemingly seeming inability to die, before also escaping with the other box. And then, a bunch of things that don't matter happen. Yep. And also flashbacks. Oh, so many flashbacks. Like, just literally a, a solid half an hour of this film is just flashbacks. Like, explaining everything I just explained in, like, that paragraph. So, while all that's going on, we learn that the two boxes contain mythical Greek items. One being the Golden Fleece of Jason that Sand wants, and the Blood of Heracles that the Octopus wants. However, each is stored in the wrong box, and so needs to arrange some kind of swap over. The spirit infiltrates the octopus's lair, but is captured by his assistant, Silken Floss, played by Scarlett Johansson. The octopus then reveals that the spirit is Denny Colt, a rookie police officer who was killed and then resurrected by the octopus to test his serum, which, when combined with the blood of Heracles, will make him immortal. Uh, the spirit escapes by seducing assassin Plaster of Paris. Yes, that is her name. Mm -hmm. Played by Paz Vega, who also sounds like a character from the spirit. Yes. But she then stabs the spirit after he mentions San's name. Uh, eventually, the spirit recovers and makes his way to where the octopus and Sand are about to exchange boxes. He arrives along with a SWAT team, and in the ensuing battle... Sand has a change of heart, shoots the vase containing the blood of Heracles, and uses the Golden Fleece to save the spirit as he blows up the octopus with a grenade. Uh, then Sand leaves, and the spirit makes up with his girlfriend Ellen, played by Sarah Paulson, who is certainly also in this film. Occasionally. Yep, and I'm sure has a rich and interesting characterization. Yes. And isn't yeah. and isn't just a, a medical examiner that's the daughter of the chief cop. I'm sure there's more to her than that. Well, yes, there's the fact that she's in love with the spirit. Yeah, but so is every woman in Central City. Yeah, and some of the men. <laughs> It's probably because he's got such a lovely red tie. Indeed, and how it goes well with his iconic blue suit. <laughs> oh, it's blue, is it, the suit? It's supposed to be blue, not black, Frank Miller. <laughs> oh, by the way, that's that's the end of the synopsis. Yeah, and and also, bear in mind that the runtime of this film is an hour and 42. A half hour of flashbacks is a lot. Yes. Yes, it is. They could have filled that with some, I don't know, exposition. Yeah. Or anything. Just, it would be nice if things happened in this film. Yeah. There's a couple of... The first part, when when the octopus first appears, it reminds me of... Do you remember the fast show when they used to have the long, big punch-up sketches? Yeah, it's, it's basically that, isn't it? <laughs> it's basically that. Which is, I, I guess, deliberate? Because this film... Like is a gritty Sin City-esque neo-noir and also a wacky comedy at the same time. And is it? I I think it's supposed to be. Well, that would explain Stana Katic's acting as Morgenstern, then. Yeah, what's, what's she doing? I, I don't know, but it... It appears that whatever she is doing, someone stuck two very long rulers down her uniform trouser legs before she started walking anywhere. And the same down her arms, because she's very, very... Yeah, wooden. very, like, sort of 
much yeah. like it. But I mean, like I've seen her in other things, and she, yes, so, so it's clearly like not that she's a bad actor. It feels like that's that's a deliberate direction they've given the character. And and this is the thing. It, I mean, there are some glorious moments from certain from actors who will never appear in a film or TV show ever again. There aren't there aren't any glorious performances from. Um, but you know, Eva Mendes, Samuel L. Jackson, Scarlett Johansson, Sarah Paulson, Stana Katic, these are all. Well respected Hollywood A-listers. Yeah. I mean and, and Gabriel Mack has had like a very successful TV career. How did this happen? Frank Miller is why this happened, Mick. It must be the direction that they were given. Um, yeah, that's and- that's the problem with this film, is every single bit of it you have to look and go. And okay, Frank Miller, what did you want to accomplish with this scene? And the answer is, we can't know the answer because it's locked inside like the clown circus steel trap that is Frank Miller's mind. Yes. Which also has like various semi-naked ladies just gyrating on top of it. Has he borrowed those from Zack Snyder and his sucker punch era? Oh no, no. I'm pretty sure Frank Miller is what inspired Zack Snyder. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah the the other thing is that from a directorial point of view it's almost as if um frank miller when i know what i'm going to do with this film i'm going to take all the bits that people really really liked in sin city and ignore all the rest of it like plot and character and but just that stylized look I'm going to do that, but I'm going to turn it up to... That's what this film is. It's Sin City meets Spinal Tap. He's turned the style up to 11 and left everything else behind. Which is so weird because, like, the whole point of Sin City was that was emulating the look of the comic. Yes. And then Frank, who again, like I said before the synopsis... Frank Miller insisted on doing this because he, and I quote, said that it needed to be someone who really got it. And then what he's done is just like dumped most of the stuff from the Spirit comics and then just gone, but what if I make it Sin City again? Yeah. And we know that that doesn't work. Because a few years later he made Sin City again, and yeah, Sin City, the not good one. Yeah, this is like Sin City one point five, isn't it? Yeah, a film to yawn for. That big red tied bastard. <laughs> I'm just, I'm baffled by this film, Mick. You're baffled? You've sat through it twice. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make any more sense the second time you watch it. That's quite pretty. She reminds me of the angel from Borderlands. Yeah, death, uh, like we mentioned in the intro, weird sequin-covered lady who wants the spirit to... Even even death wants to make out with the spirit. Yeah. And there's no real um, there's no real explanation. I mean, obviously, you know, there's just the basic, you know, a handsome man because you cast handsome men as your heroic lead anyway. Right, but beyond the fact that he's handsome behind the mask, there doesn't seem to be any real explanation for this charismatic. It's not like it's part of his supernatural powers, because uh, by all accounts, he was like that before he was shot. 
Yeah. It's also, speaking of those, the spirit doesn't have supernatural powers in the comics. No. Well, I mean, not being dead. That's a supernatural power, isn't it? Yeah, but it's... So, so just to go into the spirit a bit, basically his origin story is that he was, I think, a criminal... Like, he definitely was a police officer. I think he was a criminologist who was investigating a crime. But then, basically, it was like an evil scientist who was working on a suspended animation serum. So he fought that guy, the serum vat kind of fell over him he got put in suspended animation everyone thought he died but then he woke up and so figured you know if the world thinks Denny Colt is dead I'll become the spirit and you know kind of operate in secret flush out all my enemies Mm. but literally he's just a guy like his superpowers are being pretty good at punching and being pretty good at being punched Right. Okay. And it's... I mean, Bang up job you did there, Frank, adapting that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess part of me can maybe understand it. Because I think, especially in this era, like, there's that kind of awareness of comics, like, still being seen as silly. So it's maybe, like, looking at the comics and going... Well, an awful lot of the time, you know, the spirit will get like bonked over the head or like shot in the shoulder or something. And then a few hours later, it'll be fine. So instead of just having that, we need to, you know, make up this whole explanation of him having this, you know, special healing factor. Yeah. But it's again, for someone who was that adamant that he needed to be the one to direct the spirits it's missing one of the fundamental points of the spirits, yes. which is that he's just a guy. This Justin apparently spawns rubbing his hands together with glee. He's seeing a promotion in the works. Oh, boy, yeah, that's going to be a <laughs> interesting conversation. Um, yeah. I mean, going back to the stylizing, I guess there are some of the effects that work better this time around than they did in the first Sin City, but then there was three years more time to develop the the technology and to develop the techniques um, than he'd have there. Some of it's a bit smoother, but then some of it looks a lot starker and a lot simpler, more stripped back. Yeah, and I guess maybe, because the original Spirit comics, they were from the 1940s. So I wonder if it's maybe trying to emulate that sort of simpler style. Possible, but why would you go to to all that that effort to emulate that aspect of it when you've ignored everything else? (laughs) I mean, again, that brings us back to the central problem of this, which is because Frank Miller is Frank Miller, and who knows what goes on. Indeed, indeed. Oh. I will say at least, like, some of the shots in this film do look quite cool. Yes. But I think that's the problem. It's meant... It, it's trying... It's trying too hard to look cool without focusing on important aspects like an interesting story or a point. Or anything. Yeah, or being a faithful adaptation of the spirit. Yeah, I think there's a reason why we're not sat here in 2023 eagerly awaiting the release of The Spirit XII. My city screams again. That was the official website, by the way. www.mycityscreams.com God, and that's... That's such a stupid, angsty line. Yes, but let's face it, if you were going to name your website to promote the film after a stupid, angsty line, it's not like you didn't have a fair old chunk to pick from. 
I mean, it's possibly not even the cheesiest line there is. I'd have gone with www.noeggsonmyface.com. Yeah, God, I mean, just none of the lines in this are anything like what an actual human being would say, are they? <laughs> no. But there is this whole egg metaphor in the first half of the film that seems to die it, off. It is it a metaphor, Mick? I, I don't know, but it, it, there's certainly an idiom in play from Samuel L. Jackson relating to eggs. It's almost like the burger conversation from Pulp Fiction, but worse. And irrelevant. Yeah, because I just Samuel Jackson's character in this is one of those things that I really hate in films where it's just, oh, he's crazy. So like everything he does doesn't need to have any sort of like thought behind it or internal logic because we can just say, oh, he's just doing it because he's crazy. Why yeah, is he dressed up like a samurai in this one scene? He's crazy. Yeah, what was that whole Nazi thing about? I don't know. Just for no apparent reason, him and Scarlett Johansson turn up dressed as Nazis halfway through questioning the spirit, and then that's all over in like a couple of scenes, and it's like, yeah, I'm just a mad scientist again now. Yeah, a mad scientist who grows like a foot with a face. Yeah. I mean, that's, that one looks like something straight out of Doom Patrol, to be fair, but, yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, I feel like that's one of the moments where it almost gets closer to kind of the spirit. Because, mm. like, the general concept of it being set up like a film noir story, but all the characters are kind of these wacky sort of comedy types and there's like weird mad science and kind of international spies and kind of sort of more of a light-hearted feel that i think that works as a spirit film mm. but it's just it doesn't work when it's frank miller just smashing his head against the keyboard and putting things in where people go is is that supposed to be a joke frank and then he's just but yeah it's oh, oh man but i mean like like the bit where the spirit gets knocked out the window and he's just like hanging off one of like the gargoyle things mm. and then morganstern rings him and like gives him a laser it's like oh yeah great good job morganstern while he's like almost falling to his death yeah that, that feels like the spirit yeah. Yeah. I don't know though. Does any of it feel like the spirit? I, I, I mean, parts of it do. Like, I feel like this film is like watching a truck full of Sin City crash into like a warehouse full of the spirits. And then we're just sifting through the wreckage trying to find anything. Would and that like, be a would that be a dick co deliveries, Laurie? Yeah, let's see what they did with the cause Yeah, yeah. Dick oh, he's, he's a comics man. Yeah. That was a nice touch. I liked that. Yeah. I I always like it when comic stuff does that, where it's always like a oh, we've got to go down to Kirby Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I'm afraid, in terms of plus points with this film, they are few and far between. I did have one little bit of nostalgic joy, though, as I sat down to watch this on Prime. It still had an FBI warning in front of it. Oh, that's quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think I didn't read it in detail because obviously I've, I've seen it thousands of times in the 90s and the 2000s on various VHS and DVDs. But I've got a feeling actually that this one might have said something like FBI warning. Don't watch this. Do your eyes a favor. 
God, I, I miss the days when like there was a federal that. fine of fifty thousand dollars <laughs> to anyone who watches this to the end. So you're down hundred thousand already. Oh God, yeah, that's that's gonna make buying a flat hard. Yes. After ring up the mortgage, so so it turns out I can't afford the deposit. I need to pay all my life savings because I watched the spirit twice. <laughs> At which point your mortgage advisor says, "You did what?" In a tone normally uh, reserved for the people who ring him and say, "So I've just bought a yacht." And at least you can live on a yacht, basically. Exactly. Exactly that. So. I mean, I guess I liked the bit where Morgenstern just pulled out like an improbably large, like, plasma cannon type thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was quite good. Um. And some of Scarlett Johansson's pieces as um, silk and floss were quite good. And actually, from a sort of comedic point of view, I did quite like the goons, the cloned goons. Yeah. Because they had cyclical catchphrases. We was watching. Yep, silk and floss is the most beautiful woman. Then gets run over by Silk and Floss in a truck and sits up and goes, Silk and Floss is the most beautiful woman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, or the, like the weird samurai bit where one of them just walks on with like, like a shuriken in the head. Oh, and that bit where, she's, where she tells him to cut himself open with a knife and he just carries on doing it because it's Silk and Floss telling him. <laughs> He's halfway across and he goes, Do you still want me to carry on? Because. It's smarting a bit. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm not sure I'm doing it right. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah I, that was quite a, a decent one. I, I did quite like those because uh, they were they were comedy goons in a more obviously comedy way than they usually are portrayed. Usually they're a bit flat and two dimensional, whereas these were flat and two dimensional, but in a purposeful way. It was like the 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 two-dimensionalness was overemphasized. Yeah, because I mean, because I guess it's kind of that point that they're just weird. Like, like they never really explain what they are, but they're clearly some kind of like weird clone thing. Yeah, where they've just been growing in. Because they're all played by the same actor, aren't they? Yeah. So it's clearly that's one of Octopus's cloning experiments, and the one that goes wrong is the one where it's just one of those heads on a foot. Also, did like that Silk and Floss's like whole motivation was just eh, being evil's fun. Yeah, yeah. There was no, there was no revenge plot. There was no <laughs> thirst for power. Just I like being nasty. Yeah. And just when things are starting to go a bit hairy, she's just like, right, get in the truck, drive off. Yeah, <laughs> I'm off to. Find I do like villains like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm off to find someone else to aid in a bet. You're on your own now, Octopus. Bye. Yeah. I think maybe that's like one of the biggest shames about this film is that there is like actual good stuff in there. It's just Frank Miller is not a screenwriter. Or Frank, or at least Frank Miller should not be a screenwriter. Yeah. <laughs> I think the fact that the spirit and since it exists mean he is a screenwriter. Yeah, he is technically a screenwriter and he is technically a director. But but whether like, he should be allowed to be either of those things is uh, debatable. Yeah, highly because they are both they are very different from writing a comic book. Yes, and it's it's really it's one of those classic things. I feel like you hear when everyone's complaining about like a comic book film. There's always someone who says, "Well, why don't they just get you know." the guys who wrote the comic book to write the film. And this is why. It's yes. because like those skills are not necessarily transferable. No. But clearly someone's just gone, hey Frank Miller, you're one of like the three names of comic book people that non-comic book fans know. 
So therefore, <laughs> you should be in charge of this. But it's like, no, like maybe if he had other people involved. And just in general, Frank Miller needs other people involved to stop him being too Frank Miller. Yeah. He's, he's a bit like Garth Ennis, where he just needs someone there with a, like a little... Rein him in a little bit. Yeah. Just like with a little squirty bottling going, down, Frank, are you writing another female character who's a prostitute? Don't make me get the hose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes me really sad that I learned today. What? Apparently in the 80s, Brad Bird wanted to do a The Spirit film and it was going to be an animated film. Brad Bird. Incredibles, Brad yeah, Bird. Yeah, Incredibles, Brad Bird. Wow. But no, the studio is sort of like, I don't know, an animated superhero film. Can't see that taking off. That'll never catch on. In fact, I think if it did, it would be pretty incredible. Oh... Have you gone yet? No. But now? No. I mean, you've at least got to admit that that was better written than any of the lines in the spirits. Well, and better delivered, to be fair. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (sighs) So. Yeah. It's also a shame that Gabriel Macht has been so typecast by this film because he went from playing the spirit to playing the lead character in Suits whose name is Harvey Specter. No, really? Yeah, really. Oh, man. I mean, I've never watched Suits. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty all right. I mean, it's got a Megan it's... woman in it, isn't it? Yeah, Megan Markle. Yeah. Um, Mega Windsor, I think you'll find now. Oh, I guess she is. And Patrick Thingy, who was our man in the second series of Legends of Tomorrow. Arrow. Patrick J. Patrick J. Adams. Arrow man. Our man. Our man. Right. I don't remember our man. There was an owl man in um, Stargirl. Yeah, th- this was a different one. I think he showed up in like one episode of Legends of Tomorrow and then died. Oh, it might have been. Ah, yes, they did do a one where they went back in time and met the JSA. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Because that would have had Wildcat and. Yeah, I think. I think I had, like, Vixen and Steel. Yes. That was a fun episode. I need to watch more Legends of Tomorrow, but then I get distracted by other things. Everybody needs to watch more Legends of Tomorrow. And the CW need to make more Legends of Tomorrow. Hashtag safe season eight. Maybe one day. Maybe one day when DC works out what it's doing with itself. I mean, to be fair, I'd, I'd be quite just happy to see, like, you know, Doom Patrol Season 4B. Which makes it sound like some kind of really soft pencil. I mean, maybe, maybe that is the plot. Maybe they do all turn into pencils. But what a great marketing technique. What a great mar- marketing line of merchandise. Super soft pencils with <laughs> character character head erasers on the, on the top. Oh, you can get them all set. You yeah, could like, get, like, you get like, Looney Tunes ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could get Robot Man. You could get Elastigirl. You could get... I don't know, they could milk that, couldn't they? Because you could have two Elastigirl ones. One of her as normal and one as a melting blob. Or if they're really smart, it's one, but like as you use it to rub things out, like just her face melts more. Yes. Um, you could have 57 Crazy Janes. 
you could. You've got like so many personalities to choose from. Excellent. Uh, and you could you, you could have a sort of pencil case where the interior was designed like the underground. Yeah. Oh, and if you buy up a load of old stock from like other novelty eraser heads, you can just say that they're all Madame Rouge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we should work for the marketing director, the, the marketing team at DC. We should. We're clearly much better at it than they are. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> just call us, DC. James Gunn, if you're listening, just give us a call and make more Peacemaker. Or just make some stuff. You know, just get some DC content out there because we're all confused. We don't know where the DCU starts and the DCEU ends. Yeah. What about Aquaman 2? Does Aquaman 2 count as anything now? Well, I don't know. This is why I'm confused because you've got... He came out and said that Blue Beetle wasn't a DCU film, but it was a DCU character. And Aquaman comes out after Blue Beetle. So, what does that mean? I don't know. No wonders. I don't think James Gunn knows. But all of this is just serving as a distraction from the nitty-gritty of the purpose of this podcast, which is to find a home for the spirit on our list. So, will it go along with a history of violence at no. number one? No, no, it won't. No, I think we are looking much more at the bottom of the list, where we've got Spawn at number 58. Yes. So, I've had a bit of a think. Oh. And the spirit isn't very good. But at least it's Frank Miller, and maybe the ideas he has aren't good ideas, but he commits to those ideas. Unlike something like Morbius, which just half is absolutely everything. Well, there is that. I was thinking, you know, the spirit versus spawn. I mean... Frank Miller hasn't got the excuse that he's having to do it on a prototype Amiga. Yeah, he's not. He's not like borrowing Alan Sugar's first Amstrad to try and <laughs> create a believable CG world. <laughs> Getting like just some PowerPoint star wipes, putting those on. <laughs> um. But that's it being said, Spawn could have just not done that. True, true. <sighs> so what else have we got around that kind of area? Uh, okay, so maybe running down... So I mean, it's on a par 50... with... It's on a par with Hasselhoff's Nick Fury because of the scenery chewing by Samuel L, who would, of course, then go on to become Nick Fury. So uh, I'll do our bottom five, shall I? Because this is certainly circling that kind of drain. <laughs> so at number 54, we've got Catwoman. Number 55, we've got 3 Dev Adam. Do you remember 3 Dev Adam? I do remember 3 Dev Adam. What a film. Uh, 56, we've got Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. 57, we've got Morbius. 58, we've got Spawn. It didn't make me chuckle as much as 3 Dev Adam. Yeah, I mean, they're both almost incomprehensibly weird, but Mm. 3 Dev Adam is weird in a more fun way than this is. Yeah. Um, I mean, Gabriel Macht wishes he had Turkish Spider-Man's eyebrows. <laughs> uh, when that thunderstorm broke last Sunday, I wished I had Turkish Spider-Man's eyebrows. 
It would have kept me very dry. <laughs> um, I did spot another Turkish superhero movie, by the way. Oh, no. And I can't remember what it was, but I think it might have been like a a Turkish Avengers or something like that. They've done a host of Superman. There's Super Adam. Three Supermen against the Godfather. There you go. Wait, like, like Martin Brando, the Godfather. Well, he's not in it, but, you know. You've got Attack, Matrak, Agent Brad, Baba Jackson, Agatha, and Agatha's lover. That's your cast list. I mean, I'm very excited by Agent Brad. <laughs> Who's also called Detective Murat, so I don't know whether that's a double role for someone. Do you think it's like Deadpool 2, where it's like a secret Brad Pitt cameo? Oh, it could be. Or maybe not. Um, you've got Soup Adam. Uh, and then there's... Ooh. What appears to be Dunyang Kerteran Adam, which seems to be a man who uh, a superpower is goose stepping, which is unfortunate. Oh, well, I guess he fits along with the octopus's gang then. Yeah. Um, killing in Istanbul. Maybe it wasn't a Turkish one. I saw a picture of something and it looked like it was a, a fun foreign version of something. Anyway, we still haven't... <laughs> We're easily distracted from the spirit, aren't we? <laughs> we have... I mean, in our defence, this is a film that we only picked because we were going to do The Shadow and then got slightly confused and then yeah. thought, eh, why not? <laughs> and it was easily accessible on Prime. <laughs> and that. Um... Oh, what we should have done. We should have, like, got Graham involved, and then one of us watched The Spirit, one of us watched The Shadow, and the other one of us watched The Phantom. Yes! And see how long it took before we realised we'd all seen different films. <laughs> Billy Zane plays... Eh? What? <laughs> the Phantom. I have watched that movie before. That is terrible, that movie. It's not as I've terrible seen as clips Spirit, and though. it doesn't seem good. It's not as terrible as Spirit, though. Um, no, well, John else isn't as terrible as the spirits. Well, read of Adam because I'm putting it in as I knew 56 right underneath it. Right. What's 58 now? Uh, so 58 is Morbius, 59 is Spawn. Right. And then Nick Fury is 57. Okay. And listeners, I mean, you can work out the order in your own heads. Yes. Oh. Right, that's it. Job done. I never have to watch The Spirit again. I can go back to watching Stana Katic's Beckett in Castle. Oh, uh, see, I was like you once. I remember finishing the film The Spirit and thinking, thank God I'll never have to watch The Spirit again. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> Indeed. But at least you've come through it without egg on your face. Because you know how much you hate that. Horrible, damn, gloopy egg. What, what even was that? See, what is this <laughs> film? What happened to you? You wrote The Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller. Yes, and then he get, he wrote Dark Knight 2 and Dark Knight 3. Do you think it was some kind of like devil's bargain? Like, like he made a deal with Satan to gain the ability to write Dark Knight Returns, but like the payoff is that he then had to write Dark Knight 2 and 3 and also The Spirit. 
<laughs> could be. Could be. Maybe the same thing happened with Sin City and Sin City 2. Could could well be. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you can all I... go ponder Frank Miller on your own time. Yes. It's um so it's been fifteen years since that film came out. God it has, hasn't it? Someone somewhere is probably thinking someone ought to do a film based on the spirit. Oh god, it's all starting again. Maybe. Maybe it's Avi Arid and he's thinking, this could be my way back. No! (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's this month's nightmare sorted for you. You're welcome. (laughs) It's generally the most viscerally upsetting thing I've ever heard. Anyway, um, that's about it from us. If you want to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's the only way you can reach us now, because social media is all horrible. (laughs) Also, if you are a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and reach you new listeners. So that's everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew. I've been Mick. So long and thanks for listening.